0: Welcome to Hitchcock Chronologically, uh, the podcast dedicated to watching all of Alfred Hitchcock's movies and recapping them in chronological order my name is jeff uh, i'm the host of this podcast and I'm, I'm i'm putting myself through this because i've always considered myself a, a hitchcock fan but not an aficionado and m- maybe by the end of this i can uh, check that off and, and call myself an aficionado because uh, i'll have seen every one of his feature leak films hitchcock is uh, also got a lot of short f- films out there that i'm going to ignore i'm basing this completely off of his imdb uh and the things that are marked short film i'm not gonna bother with now it's possible that i may if i can find them because some of this stuff's kind of hard to find um i may do like a recap on those but uh this is the first episode and so with the first episode we take a look at his first movie a movie called the pleasure garden now this movie was released in 1925 and has a runtime of one hour and 15 minutes, and I like that it's that long because this, being his first film, and releasing in 1925, is a silent film. There is no audio. Now when you watch it, you get a score that is laid over the top of it. That uh, so there is a soundscape there, uh, and I don't know like in history if these were just played over the loudspeakers while the movie went the um the audio though the soundtrack the score does go with the film uh based on what you're seeing on the screen and to be honest this is my first time ever watching a uh a silent film at least in its at least in completion you know from start to finish because i've seen clips of Nosferatu and and. Dr. Caligari's Calamari, or whatever that was called. It's some sort of horror movie, but I've never actually sat down and focused on a silent film from start to finish. And uh, this is definitely the first one of those I've done. Uh, But who better to start with than Alfred Hitchcock himself? So I don't know if you've ever watched a silent film, but the way the dialogue works, you will see a character mouth something, and then their dialogue will flash on screen. Now, this is, again, the first time I've seen something like this. And so when the dialogue first pops on screen, it says what they say and then a name. Now, at first, I thought that was the name of the character, but it turns out it's the name of the actor actress. And I guess so that if you knew, hey, that's Tom Hanks and he's saying this, you knew who was saying it on screen, but it just felt weird. A little weird, and I guess that's how things went back then. I'm not sure. I haven't watched that many silent films, but that's how it went in this one. They mentioned the actor uh, as opposed to the name of the character on the screen. Uh, so the the movie here starts with a dance, a choreographed dance show in some sort of small theater. And it's, think of like a, a kick line, like, you know how... Sometimes you'll have like cheerleaders arm and or like arms over shoulders doing high kicks. That's what's happening here. And but it's a show with music and everybody's raving about it. There's some old pervy guy in the front row. And I'm not even kidding. He pulls out his binoculars and just looks at the women's legs and then pans up. It like it just threw me off. Like, so you think about movies in the 20s. I'm thinking that this is going to be super shrewd and kind of without any sort of body to it like that's the wrong word what's the word i want to use without any edge so it doesn't have any edge or, or i would think it doesn't have edge but uh that was not the case uh what we see is this guy with the binoculars goes backstage and, or i guess he talks with someone in the crowd and, and you mentioned that uh this gentleman by the name of hamilton makes these plays and they do gangbusters they're always selling out and and making money and he's the only guy who's like making money so he's this sort of genius as far as putting together these dancing productions because it's not a play it doesn't feel like a play it might be a musical of some kind but it's hard to tell without you know audio so he goes backstage and he uh meets the first time you see this guy hamilton he's smoking a big cigar in front of a smoking prohibited sign which i thought was just genius character work uh done in a matter of one's you know, one frame. You know, clearly this guy doesn't follow the rules because he's smoking in front of the smoking prohibited sign, and no one chastises him. You know, no one says, "Hey, stop!" You're. I, it just was funny to me to have such a a weird piece of character development just right there. And and the 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 other thing is that this character Hamilton is not does not play a huge role in the film. Uh, so the guy goes backstage. Uh, This fan who is checking out the women with his binoculars and he gets introduced to the lead or uh, of or the person he was fascinated by um, Patsy. Uh, She comes over and meets her, tries a pickup line that she quickly turns against him and walks away. Um, You know, she's not interested in this because he's kind of he's a big fat guy and I'm a fat guy. I can say that. And he's sitting in the front row at a play by himself. And he's not the kind of guy i could see anyone being tempted by uh and again i (laughs) mentioned i'm tempted by uh anyway so she that's our introduction to patsy she's one of our main players um and then we cut to another woman outside who is jill she is coming into the theater because she has a meeting with hamilton um But as on her way in, she gets pickpocketed and she loses her money as well as, I guess there was a note or some sort of authorization, the proof that she could go and see this super famous, busy director of these shows. So now she's at the front, no cash in hand, her reason for being there completely gone. And so she's kind of stuck now she's in a place she doesn't know. And, uh, Patsy happens to see her and takes mercy on her says hey you know stay with me in in my apartment and in the morning I'll introduce you to Hamilton we'll we'll get you an audition They go back to her room right and this is one of those another scene that just kind of took me by surprise there is a lot of time spent and again there's no speaking really it's occasionally one thing I found interesting as uh, watching my first, silent film is how much is portrayed with just body language how creative uh creatively they communicate without having to force you with a lot to read there is not a lot to read here uh for a movie with no dialogue and just these uh you know sc- quick fr- screenshots that come up with the dialogue that's being spoken it's not a lot there's not a lot of reading which was pleasant uh for me um not that i dislike reading but i just assumed with a uh with a silent film there's going to be a lot more than there was but a lot of the story is conveyed through pantomiming through physical body language and that's the case here in this this scene where they're both kind of getting to know each other they're back in her apartment getting ready for bed and there's a lengthy amount of time spent just watching them change into their pajamas This is vintage Hitchcock right here, because he's he's got a lot of uh, history with women and sort of some of them feeling uh, taken advantage of Vera Miles, uh, who famously was in Psycho, uh, is kind of one of those people who doesn't really have a good relationship with Hitchcock. And so it just seemed weird that there's just the scene of, there's like just a lengthy scene of one of them taking their socks off. And uh, now none of it is like, you don't see any nudity, but it was more than I expected from a movie from the 1920s. Uh, but I think that Hitchcock is probably pussy slur. there pushing the limits here um, of what is allowed. And, and, and I'm pretty sure this predates any sort of, ratings board or anything like that that would turn them away but uh, I just found it interesting how long they lingered on just getting ready for bed nothing really happening just them getting ready for bed although the one thing that does happen is you find out she has uh, Patsy who lives near the theater has a dog named Cuddles and Jill our person from out of town back home has a fiance uh, whose name is Hugh and uh, those are three of our Four major cast characters. We have Patsy, who is the uh, talent in this show, and she lives nearby, and Jill, who's from out of town, who uh, is trying to get on the show, and Hugh's, no, excuse me, Jill's fiance, Hugh, and one more major character left to come. The next morning comes around, and she does an audition, and the dancing looks ridiculous. Uh, I don't know if you've ever seen there's a Dave Chappelle, a Chappelle bit about how bad white people are at dancing uh, and how we needed help. And this movie, this sequence here is proof positive. Uh, if you get a chance to see it, I had to watch this on YouTube. I couldn't find it in any other sort of streaming service, but it was on YouTube. Uh, but it, it's horrible dancing and it looks ridiculous. It looks like she's swimming in air. And, but at the end of it, apparently it wows Hamilton. So he's like, Hey, let's get you a job, $5 a week or five pounds a week. Excuse me, but I'm going to say dollars. And she says, no, I know how good I am. We'll start at 20. Now I'm no botanist, but that's, that's like a 400% markup, right? I mean, that's four times what he offered and he doesn't even blink. He's like, yep, sounds good. So she's got her job. She's now, uh, highly paid, I guess 20 pounds goes a long way in the 1920s. And so things are kind of going right for her. We cut back up to Patsy's apartment and Patsy is alone, just kind of changing. And in comes someone, this, there's like these two caretakers almost. Um, one of them looks like Wilfred Brimley and his wife. Uh, not Wilfred Brimley's wife, but he's married to a woman who I don't know how to describe other than that she's now married to Wilfred Brimley. Uh, so Wilfred Brimley's wife comes in the room and says, Hey, uh, Jill's fiance is here. Uh, Hugh comes in the room and is waiting for uh, Patsy to finish changing, uh, being a true gentleman, but he starts to play with cuddles and they're goofing around and Hugh's on all fours and Patsy doesn't see him as she's coming out of her bedroom. She tumbles over. They have a laugh. They're very friendly and cordial with each other. And then um, she gets introduced to Hugh's friend, Levette. Levette is our fourth major character. Um, He's very charming. You know, uh, he's got a a mustache, so he's clearly charming them. Patsy and Levette hit it off. Um, They have a, a very quick, Relationship where she—I don't remember how exactly it comes up, but it's like the weirdest reason to get married ever. They just kind of—he's—I don't even—it—it it, it, it did it. anyway. He's going out of town, right? He's just here temporarily. He's got to go overseas, and she's like, "Well, I'll go with you because she's in love with him, and they get engaged." But he's like, "Hey, I don't—you know—my job won't let me have my wife overseas." So she's like, well, I'll wait patiently for you. Okay. At this time, though, they're all downstairs having dinner with who knows. And this is long after the, uh, what do you call that? That audition we talked about. And Jill, remember, is engaged to Hugh. Jill is now flirting with some guy who's a prince, right? And, you know, I don't know what Hugh does for a living, but he's not a prince and they so and the way like again this body language is so key in this sort of silent acting is you can tell that she has this prince's attention and she has him at his will already and it's not displayed in any other way than f- this body language and it, it's quite well done so all this happens and levette's like talks to patsy and says it Looks like Hugh didn't realize the kind of woman that Jill was because Jill's flirting with the prince right in front of Hugh. She doesn't care that her fiance's in the room. This upsets Hugh, but he kind of just sits there and sulks, doesn't really do much about it. you know, what do you do? You know, have a conversation afterwards, I guess. but uh, after the party. You know, Levette's like, okay, I'm going. I'm going away. I have to go back overseas. And they go to a boat. Now, if you've ever seen an old movie where the the couple is splitting up, one gets on the train and the other doesn't. And the one not on the train runs beside the train. And is like, don't forget to write every day, please. Don't forget. And the guy on the train's like, totally going to do that. That's a good idea. But that doesn't happen here. So they... Levet gets on the boat and the whole time Patsy's waving back, waving at LeVette waving. And you expect him to go to the side of the ship. Like you've seen like cruise ships and things go out in movies and there's always someone on the land waving and someone in the boat waving back. And he doesn't do that. He finds a seat next to another woman, which he kind of double takes over his shoulder a couple times, very subtly done, but they're, Definitely was like, oh, he's looking at this other woman. Cracks open a paper. She never stops waving at him, but he never looks to acknowledge her. And and right before this scene, she had given him this rose and he just threw it out because it had wilted. He was done with it. And it was just, you could tell it hurt her, but he just, you know, frankly, that wasn't much of a red flag because that's how guys are. At least nowadays in the 20s, maybe they kept their flowers, but I don't know, you know, I wasn't around back then. So the scene cuts from Jill's hand waving goodbye to Levette to another hand waving at Levette. Levette is now overseas somewhere. I don't know where. Who, who knows? It doesn't matter. Um, and the person waving to him is a young island woman. Uh, I, I will refer to her from here on out as the tropical mistress because uh, unless i missed it she doesn't really get named uh but it's levette's mistress here on this island and uh you know they establish pretty quickly that they are a couple and it is quite physical uh, as much as they can show in a movie in the 20s at this time jill's back at home waiting for a letter you know months pass and he has she hasn't heard anything uh And you see that Hugh actually comes to visit LeVette and he sees, and he doesn't really say anything about it, but he sees that LeVette has this other woman here. Maybe he knew about her in the past. And I guess there's like a bro code in the twenties where you don't say, Hey, he's with this girl overseas. You know, I don't know. I guess he's keeping a bro code of some kind Uh, because he doesn't say anything about it, but he asks, um, haven't you heard from uh, or excuse me levette asks if Hugh if, he was heard from jill uh who again is now dating a prince uh and actually at this point is engaged to the prince and, and he's like no i haven't heard from her since she got her own place so he's been on the outs with her for uh, many months and she's not calling him back and that's because jill has turned into just like, she doesn't care anymore. She's She's got this print. She's got money. She's got power. And she's forgotten the people who helped her get there, specifically Patsy. So Patsy get, finally gets a letter from LeVette. And it's it says, hey, I haven't been reaching out to you because I've been ill. I'm sick. Well, it turns out that he's not really sick. It's actually his friend Hugh, who, again, is engaged to, to Jill. She's like, "Oh my gosh, Levette is sick. I gotta go see him." So she calls her good friend Jill, who she helped out at the beginning of the movie, and says, "Hey, I need to go overseas. Can I get some money?" And Jill's like, "No, I'm just gonna spend it all on my wedding." And this, you know, this is the last we see of Jill in the movie. This, it, basically, she's done. She's she's won really because she gets no recompense. Uh, she just wins. Uh, she is marrying a prince she's ignoring Hugh and now ignoring Patsy and just like done with everyone because clearly I don't I it's an interesting character study because she's comes in looking for help accepts help and there's no real sign that there's a problem until she gets famous and she changes and she doesn't ever get you know, any sort of punishment, you know, or, uh, karma in this movie. So uh, it's just interesting to me. So Patsy goes back to her place and she goes down to Wilford Brimley and his wife, who again, are I guess like landlords is the best way I could put it. And she's like, I can't, she's mad. She can't believe that Jill treated her like this. Jill, Jill is rich and getting married to a prince and she can't even loan her a little money to go see her sick husband. Or they might be fiancé at this point. I don't know if they're married yet. Well, Wolfer Brimley, being the sweet diabetes riddled man he is, goes up on the top of a bookshelf and finds uh, a place he hides some cash. And he, he gives it to her. Go be with your husband. What a kind man. So it doesn't take her long to get over there because she walks in the door with no warning because I guess, you know, over here they don't have telephones. In the 20s, I don't think they had telephones. Maybe they, they probably did. I'm no historian. uh. But she certainly couldn't text him and say she was outside. So she walks in and he's got his island mistress laying across his lap. And there's no guessing. You know, you know what's going on. And she um, like runs away immediately. And LeVette gets angry and he beats up his Island mistress just for no reason at all. Like yells at her to get out. I guess he's trying to prove to uh, Patsy that that means nothing or meaningless to her. Cause he just loses it, beats her up, then goes into the ocean and invites Island mistress over. And when she gets there, he just straight up drowns her to impress jill i guess jill doesn't actually see it It happens off to the side patsy still runs away she's obviously done she's smart right she's not an idiot which is nice she's smart she knows that this has obviously been going on i'm out of here and now she's outside so there was this guide that led her to levette's place and the guide saw what happened and took pity on her and said hey why don't you come with me well he's got a friend who's sick and uh you know, maybe you can help care for him. Come to find out that person is Hugh and she's surprised to see him. So she sets bedside with him. He kind of stirs and wakes up and sees her. And, uh, but he thinks it's Jill and asks for a kiss and Patsy goes in and kisses him. And right then Lovette shows up, right? And Lovette is livid and drunk. And so he goes over and he tells her, he tells Patsy, you go back to my house I'm going to punch this sick man in the face. She's kind. She's like, okay, I'll go back to your place, whatever, which is a mistake. All right. If a drunk guy tells you to come back to his place, don't again, not a botanist, but that just doesn't seem right. They're back at Levette's house and he is just slap drunk. He passes out and then he wakes up from his stupor and there's a ghost of his island mistress pursuing him and he thinks okay the only way to get rid of this ghost is to now kill patsy that's the clear and only thing that can be done here so he grabs a sword and he starts to pursue her and right as he's about to uh, you know cut her or kill her or whatever he gets shot in the back we turn and find out that the person that shot him in the back is the guide who was at the beginning uh, when she got to the island. And he says that, hey, Hugh told me about uh, uh, this. What was going on with this abusive guy who is drunk? And he's outside. And they get together and she says, thank you for saving me. And he says, just seeing your face saved me. You've been the woman for me all along. I just never saw it before now. And the movie ends. So this is Hitchcock's first feature film. Um. I want to say that I've take. Take a couple things into consideration. One it's a silent film. So it's got a lot going against it for me. Just going in. I'm predisposed to not like it. Um. But. Uh, it was actually, because it was an hour and 15 minutes, it was very uh, watchable. I wasn't bored, really. There, there was a small lull in the middle, but the last, the third act, if you will, is, moves real quick, and a lot happens. Um, oh, I forgot to tell you. So, after this, they cut back, and she comes back to Wilford Brimley's place. And his wife is there because they've been watching Cuddles, right? Remember Cuddles? So Cuddles, when Cuddles first met Levette, the horrible person, Cuddles was barking at her or barking at him. And she goes, huh, he didn't bark like that with Hugh. And with the slick line, Levette's like, well, Cuddles didn't have any reason to be jealous. You know, It was I guess he was comparing himself to a dog anyway. They cut back, they're back from killing Lavette, and uh, she says, and Cuddles starts playing with Hugh again, and she's like, Cuddles knew all along." And that's the last line in the movie. Cuddles the real hero." So as my first silent film, it wasn't bad. Uh, it's hard to describe the acting in these movies because there's no talking, right? So acting nowadays is about how you present your dialogue. And then there's a mix of like body language and stuff like that. This is just purely body language. And I think that they are directed well, because so much of, as I said before, the story is told through body language and it keeps it. So you don't have to read much. Now I'm a comic book reader And if you go back and read old comic books, there's just so many words on every single page. It gets really tedious to get through. And newer comics, they have a lot better word economy where uh, it makes it a lot easier to read and, and, and finish because there isn't that much to read. You're not spending a lot of time per page. And I kind of found that that correlated to this movie. It just went by and you didn't have to stop and read a, a large portion of dialogue I, I haven't thought of any sort of rating system or anything so i'm just going to thumbs up or thumbs down it and i think at the end of the day with everything against this as his first movie and my first ever silent film it was pretty good it was entertaining it was a, a it turned it was like crazy in the second half, like because the whole first half is like this romantic sort of drama, and it's just like I kind of been here before with the this is it did nothing special about it, and then the second half just gets bananas, and I'd never expected a ghost, and so that was kind of interesting. So, yeah. as a first movie, it's fun. It's okay if you don't like silent movies. I don't think this is going to change anyone's mind. It isn't. There's nothing here that to me says, oh, this is a master at work. But then again, I was not around in the 20s and this might have blown people's minds. So I don't know, but I I would say it does get a thumbs up from me. That's my official rating on The Pleasure Garden. So what's next what's the next movie and this is where we run into a early speed bump in this podcast and it's really not i'm actually kind of pleased because there are uh, uh several there are several silent films from hitchcock before we start to get to the talkies um i so this. i really want to get through these but i said i'm going to do it chronologically um It's fun to watch a silent film for the first time. I don't know if I want to do it as much. And some of these aren't that short. There's one on here that's like two hours long of silent film. So, but at the same time, I got to do it. I'm going to do it. I'm not going to quit. I'm not going to quit. But anyway, the good news is the next film is called The Mountain Eagle. And this film is obviously Hitchcock's second movie, but it is lost to time. Uh, it was released and did horribly Received bad reviews and Hitchcock himself even said, hey, I'm glad that's lost. Um, it's some weird like love triangle between a, a dad, a son who has like a handicap and a teacher along with some other guy. So it's like this love square and the people that she's competing for. Two of them are related Sun and I don't know, but it actually uh, sounds weird. Okay, it sounds weird. Uh, But fortunately, that's one less silent movie I need to watch for this podcast. So we get to skip that one because, frankly, because I can't watch it. I literally cannot watch it. And we get to our next movie, which is called The Lodger, a story of the London fog. Now, this is the movie. That I don't want to say it made Hitchcock a household name yet, but it's his first hit, according to what I've read, that the the Mountain Eagle, no one liked it or even it didn't even get released in the UK until after The Lodger came out and was a big hit. Then they released it in the UK. So I have high hopes for this. It's a thriller. There's this is kind of feels more like what I would expect from a Hitchcock movie less of this sort of weird love triangle circle square thing that the first two movies were. And, uh, we get something a little more dramatic and, uh, maybe a, a little more, uh, thrilling. I mean, it's the master of suspense. And at no point during the pleasure garden was ISIS. It suspended. Would that be right? Anyway. So, I want to thank you for listening. Uh, this is episode, uh, I don't need to tell you, okay? I want to thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to Hitchcock Chronologically. I always feel like I'm going to missay that, but I haven't yet that I've let you know about. Uh, you, uh, I, I, I don't really have any cast int or out intros or outros. Uh, if you want to hear more from me, check out Budget Arcade on your podcast app. Uh, check out Let's Make a Trailer on on your podcast app. Um, those are things you can look at, but that's it. I guess. I mean, I feel like I should have a sign off line, but I don't have one. So I will see you on the next episode when we revisit the lodger, a story of London fog.